Hello and welcome to the Start Creating Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you grow on social media, from YouTube to Instagram and so much more. I am your host, Alan Spicer, your YouTube certified expert. I have around about 12 years worth of experience in this industry, from web development to social media marketing and video editing in itself. This podcast will be about news, tips, tricks, and your submitted questions should you need any help within the social media space. So follow, subscribe, enjoy the ride, go out there, start creating. At the start of this year, I had nine thousand subscribers. I was, I still am proud of those 9,000 subscribers and all of the hard work it took me to get to those 9,000 subscribers. Nearly two years for that matter. But I decided to double down and work on a few things that I learned from VidCon UK and now I'm at 22,000 subscribers a little over six months later. I'm going to walk you through exactly what I did to turn a already successful YouTube channel into something even bigger, to double my YouTube channel growth in which by the end of this year I may even be at 30,000 subscribers, which will be nearly tripling my growth year on year. Thumbnails. Now this is something that I've always done fairly well. They've always been fairly clear and crisp and there was always my face and some words here that you could clearly see and understand. The general rule of thumb with any thumbnail is either show them what they are going to get or tell them with minimal words. So here is my old thumbnail. As you can see, I'm pointing at some words. I did this back to back, back to back for two years. A very similar style, a very similar font, and it's always got the white, black, red color scheme. I always use two or three short words. The reason for this is that you're able to look at them, no matter the size of them, and understand add end screens, add subtitles. Whatever it happens to be, I was able to deliver the message in three or four short words. And that's what your thumbnails should be if you're screaming it and telling them directly what the video happens to be about. I used that style for a very, very long time, but after VidCon UK in around about February this year, I decided that I'd take on some advice from some of the leaders of the industry. VidIQ was suggesting faces and colours, with Rob Wilson standing there telling you that you need to tell a story within that thumbnail. Daryl Eves also pointed this out with the likes of Mr Beast, in which his thumbnails would highlight that it's been multiple days, or how tired they are, or the shock, or the disgust on their face. So I started to test new thumbnails. Gone were the white, black, red things are standing here, template in which we almost look identical each and every time, except for me pulling a weird face or picking my nose. In was the new red, shocking thumbnails. Why? Because there's two reasons for a thumbnail. One, stop them scrolling. Two, make them intrigued enough to click. Many people forget the first thing. If you don't get them to stop scrolling, if your thumbnail isn't eye-popping enough or curious enough or bright enough to make them go, well, well, hang on, then they won't click on it in the first place. It could be the masterpiece. It could be the Mona Lisa. But if they scroll past it because it's boring or bland or identical to the rivals within your niche, then you won't stand out enough for them to click on you in the first place. Now this in itself has helped me raise the 
amount of clicks and impressions that I get through on those thumbnails. Because they're bright, they're bold, they stand out against my rivals, there's two or three words, or they tell a story. Whether it's YouTube tags, whether it's my disgust for sub for sub, whether it's getting more subs in 15 seconds, whether it's doubling YouTube growth, how to cut yourself out in a thumbnail. All of these are telling you a story. You're looking at it and you can understand what it is with minimal text or even no text at all. I'm deliberately using words like this or do that or just an arrow. These are clear cut messages, show or tell. Now that I've got your attention and they click through, click through rate is very important. It's one of the most important metrics on the platform. That's why they added it in to the YouTube studio. They want to know how long you are watching for and how often they click onto that thumbnail. But obviously they're not gonna watch unless they click. Click-through rate is exactly that. For every 100 impressions, if someone clicks on that thumbnail, that is 1%. So if you get 100 impressions and 100 clicks, you get 100% click-through rate. Which, let's be honest, is highly unlikely. A good click-through rate is anywhere between three and 10%. This does fluctuate because if your video is doing really, really well, YouTube will push you out to more and more people, so the click-through rate actually declines. But on average, the higher you can make that click-through rate, the better it is for you. It means you're pulling in more people, and then you entertain people within that video. A high click-through rate also sends a signal to YouTube saying that this is a video that we're intrigued by. The title and the thumbnail marries into what I was looking for. I typed in how to add end screen and the thumbnail is how to add end screen and the thumbnail clearly highlights that that's how to add end screen. So click, that's what I wanted and now I'm going to watch. And you can manipulate this click through rate by A-B testing. What this means is, is you make a couple of thumbnails, you upload with one and if you think that that thumbnail is underperforming, you can switch out to another. Keep an eye on the real time analytics and see if it goes up or go down and then either switch it back or my favorite is actually waiting for the long term. I hunt out videos that are underperforming-ish but still get traffic. So I go through all of my real-time analytics and the videos that are getting 20, 30 views per day, I go back through and see if I can improve that thumbnail. Was it boring? Was it bland? Did it not tell the story directly enough? If I then switch out that thumbnail and then give it a week, I can then compare that week to the last week and see if it got more impressions, see if it got more click-through rate, more engagement. The advantage of this happens to be is that if the click-through rate actually goes up, there's a chance that YouTube might re-rank that video, giving you more chances. Basically, the way the YouTube algorithm works is that it needs to earn your trust. It needs to understand that that video is actually what people hunted for. So if people don't think the thumbnail's right, then you're not gonna get the trust for them to try to watch. But if you improve the click-through rate, you get more people watching it. It's a good sign to YouTube. And then there's more people to watch it to teach YouTube if it is good enough, and then it might float up over time. Let's say you have a 30% retention rate and a click-through rate of 2%, and then you lift your click-through rate with the same retention but maybe a 10% click-through rate, YouTube then understands that that might be worth testing again and trialing again and pushing out to a wider audience to see maybe we got it wrong and maybe the thumbnail's a bit better now. Reworking old content. This has helped me a lot. It's very hard to constantly think of video ideas and it can be hard to get a, a really good successful video and then see it slowly fall off a cliff as it gets a little bit older and a little bit older and a little bit older. Especially when you're first starting and you're leaning into keywords that have the year in it. 2018, 2019, 2020. So what I've done is I go back and if I see a video that I felt 
I know now I could have made better. The audio could be better. The frame rate could be better. I know two or three points that I can expand on. I have more knowledge to get involved. Or they've updated the YouTube program and there's a new feature that I could have included there. Good example of this for me is that I've done a load of YouTube Studio tutorials. I did that deliberately last year, knowing that 2020 they would implement the studio in its fullest, removing the beta and just making it studio in general. The classic is gone, but certain elements of the beta were still in testing. So whether it's the end screen on the right hand side of the edit page, which is now in the editor or vice versa, whether there's a new page for the subtitles that wasn't there, whether there's a new audio library, I can go back and I can rework those or I can tweak the videos that were very date specific. What to do in 2020? What to do for New Year? What to do for Christmas? These you can visit and go back to. If, for example, you're a makeup tutorialist and you did some wonderful Halloween masks last year, you might want to do a new selection for 2020. Going back and digging out the old gems that you know, you, you just the only thing you missed out then was the thumbnail or the title, or you just weren't big enough to give it a lift. Going back, you might be able to dust off some old gems, represent them, re-record them, do much better and push them out better because you've learned how to promote, etc. Hiding dead videos. Now this is a controversial one and one that up until recently I wouldn't have suggested myself, but it has helped me start growing in general. I'll explain this to the best of my ability. Basically, over the 500 videos in my back catalogue, some of them did well in the first week or so, but then once it was no longer suggested or the most recent or newest, it just dies. It's just a topic that people weren't willing to search for. And what I do is I go back to those videos and if they've got no views within the last 28 days, I have a look at how many impressions it got, then it will tell me what kind of click-through rate it happened to have got. Obviously, if it's had no views, but say 100 odd impressions, YouTube's tried to serve this video as a suggestion to 100 people and all 100 of those people have gone, nah. If there's loads of impressions and no click-through rate or a very poor click-through rate, you might be able to rehab that with a, a new title or a new thumbnail. But in my case, if I've got no views on that video over 28 days and my channel's fairly well trafficked, I think that that's a clear sign that that video completely missed its target entirely. And those 100 odd impressions of YouTube going, hi, would you like this video? Could be best spent on any other of my other video content. I advise you need to look at this very carefully and be very honest and very pragmatic. My channel gets 300 odd thousand views per month right now. So I know that I have a large amount of traffic coming in. I wouldn't suggest doing this to a channel that only gets a thousand views per month because you don't have the volume enough to see if that video is truly dead. Because I have 500 videos and I'm getting 300,000 views per month, I know that I can go back to my really, really old ones, videos that are two years old that only got about a hundred odd video views and hasn't received any vast traffic within the last two, three months. Those impressions over the last 28 to 90 odd days could have been best put towards a video that would have a better click-through rate, that does have a better thumbnail, that does have a better title, that might answer the question a bit better. So I eliminate them. I, I make them unlisted. Unlisted, not private. Unlisted because if it's in a playlist somewhere, people can still find it. Unlisted because if it's embedded in a blog somewhere, people can still find it. But if it was private, it would kill the link entirely. The reason it's unlisted is because now YouTube won't try and promote it itself. It will just sit there based on the links that I give it out of my own blog and my, the, the 
general public. But those impressions will now be given to any other of my 499 videos that might stand a better chance of actually hooking someone in to watch an answer that they're actually looking for. Let's say I preened 20 videos and around about 2,000 impressions between those 20 videos just never got clicked on. That's 2,000 impressions that might now be given to any of my other videos that might be you watching this video in three, four years time that comes back to it because I didn't have the dead wood on my channel. But preen very carefully. I just realized because I was doing better thumbnails, I was able to capitalize on those impressions a bit better with my newer content. Sniping topics. Now this one is quite clever quite sneaky. What you need to do is understand what niche you happen to be in and using a tool from vidIQ called Trending on the homepage of a rival you can go in and see what videos are doing really well for them. Now I'm not suggesting you steal these video ideas. What I'm suggesting is you improve on these video ideas and be inspired by those video ideas because you can see that these are winning. These have been researched. These are things that clearly people are searching for. So if you can offer a better version of that, then you offer better value to the person searching for that topic. So what you do is you go to someone that's in your niche doing similar videos, you click trending, and then you have a look at the videos that are still getting videos like video views per hour, VPH. This is part of the vidIQ tool, by the way. It's completely free. There's a link in the description down below, and I'll probably put it in the iCard up here. It's free to install, and you can put it in a browser. Once you've been able to see which videos are doing well, and more importantly, which ones may be a, a little bit old, for example, a video that's still getting 100 odd views per hour, and it happens to be about eight, 10, 12 months, maybe even year old, there could be some angle of attack, some improvement that you could make within that year. Maybe that game's had a DLC. Maybe that piece of software has been updated, for example. Now, you have a look at that video, you think of the keyword that you would search to find that video, and you search for it. Now, in the search results, what you do is you have a look at everyone in that search result page. Have a look at the videos that are doing well. Have a look at the top three, four, five videos. How old are they? This is how you can establish how competitive this keyword is. If you go there and the videos are all in the last month or so, all are doing really well, all are from big channels, then maybe that's a little bit too competitive for you to snipe and jump into. So what you do is you go back to the trending page, you have a look at those videos again, you guess another keyword, you search again until you can go to a search results page and find videos where they may be one, two, three, five years old, they're still dominating at the top, and they're based on those keywords. The reason why this is important is YouTube favors new content over old content. So you look at those and you realize that all of those are about 15, 20 minutes in length, right? So you know that roughly a video should be about 15, 20 minutes in length for that topic. You have a look at all of those videos, you take in all of that information, and then you see how you can improve on that. Could you've used B-roll? Could the audio have been better? Did the top video have really crappy lighting? Was it boring? Was it slow? Was there a lot of errs and ums? What you need to do is make the best version of that answer or that search term and then you stand a chance of knocking them out of that search result because it's old. If there's a video there that's five years old and ranking number one that you feel that you can do better, better visuals, better pacing, more engagement, better thumbnail, then you've got a chance 
to knock them out of that spot, or slowly start taking views away from them as you slowly replace them. I've done this a couple of times. I've gone out and sniped a good couple of videos, which has then lifted my channel overall, got me more views in, more fresh eyes, better search results. YouTube starts to trust me because I'm ranking higher in more competitive keywords, and that has lifted my channel. The more views I get, mathematically, the more subscribers I would get over time from those views. So I lifted from four, five, six thousand views a day at the start of 2020, when I had 9,000 subscribers, to getting around about nine, 10,000 views per day, which is a good 20, 30, 40% on top of traffic, which means I would get more subscribers, which helped me to accelerate within my growth. So stand on the shoulders of giants and learn from what they are doing well, and just do it better to make sure that you answer the questions people are looking for. Optimize for humans. Now this is something that I struggled with for a very long time. After 11 years of being a web developer, I was pretty much programmed to be a robot and answer robot questions. I am fantastic at search. A good 60-70% of all of the traffic that comes to my YouTube channel is from search. How to add in-screen, how to add subtitles, how to make playlists, direct Question, answer, done. And I could optimize the title, the descriptions, and the tags like you used to do as a web developer for a website. I nailed it, I was perfect, and that's how I get 300,000 views per month based on search. But my biggest downfall is that although I could dominate in the search algorithm, I didn't dominate that well in external or suggested. So my learnings from VidCon is to optimize for humans, make sure that the thumbnails, once again, are eye-catching enough to make them stop and to click on the thumbnails, but also optimize the titles for humans in themselves. I was keyword stuffing everything into the title as much as I can. Not in a horrible way, not that it was constantly spamming, not that you'd look at it and it would feel awkward or out of place, but I would use as much as the 100 characters as I could. I'd use as many of the tags as I could. I would extend the descriptions until it was miles and miles long. I'd make sure that I stuffed in as many variants of the keywords into the descriptions as I could. I would spin them and it works well-ish for robots, but YouTube's algorithm actually is shifted and favored in more of human behavior, of suggested and browse and shares. So although I've got my foundation of search, and I will always have a foundation of search constantly finding me, I needed to tap into the human, the human that would have an emotional interest, a curiosity, a burning desire for the answer of that question. To optimize for human, all I did is I started tweaking my titles. They are now smaller. They are 50 characters in length. They have the keywords, more importantly, in there as much as possible, and a little twinge of intrigue. For example, one of my most recent videos is YouTube categories. Previously, it would have been, what are YouTube categories? How do you use them? How do you select them? That would have been a similar title. But now optimizing for humans, I've used YouTube categories as the keyword that's important. And then I'd use something in brackets next to it, like, are they important? how to use them. Something like that, a question, an intrigue. I won't use all 100 characters, I'll keep it to 50. Why 50? Because anything too long, and then on a mobile device, it cuts it off halfway through the title and people aren't intrigued. They're not gonna scroll through to the end. You can't. And on a desktop, once again, under the suggested thing on the right-hand side, it would be like YouTube categories. Are they important? Dot, 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 dot. Nobody's intrigued on the rest of that title. So if you optimize it so the whole question that they are looking for is in those 50 characters, they can jump in and immediately see what the video happens to be about. Once again, marrying with a very good, bright thumbnail. I then optimize the descriptions with relevant info with timestamps that help people jump 
to where they need to in the video. And then tags, I don't pack out the 500 characters. What I do is I add relevant tags that are spins of the title, and then I don't try and broaden it out to less directly connected, obvious stuff to the title in itself. This way YouTube gets a laser-focused answer on the tags of what this is, and a title that could hook humans, and then it blasts it out and hopes that the humans take the bait, and they have been. You can see here from my own analytics that I've had a surge in external and suggested traffic since I started implementing this at the start of the year. And that means that it's lifting people to find me in a human fashion, as well as search. You'll notice that my search hasn't gone down either. I've just gained a good third more traffic from implementing human techniques as well. Once I have them hooked, once I've got a decent thumbnail, once I know how to optimize for that human, I then try and keep them with me. Retention is a huge, powerful weapon. So I eliminated my intros. I eliminated my, hello, I'm Alan Spicer and welcome my, to my YouTube video. I've been on this platform for blah, 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 clicks. I eliminate all of the intro. The, the graphic intro that used to bounce at the start of my videos, the quick introduction to me, Nobody cares. If you're here for a question, you want to know that I'm going to give you the answer and then see the answer and then maybe hop into something else that's relevant. So I removed my intro entirely because the higher the retention on a video, the higher the metrics is to marry with the click-through rate and the more chance that the algorithm will pick you up and push you forward. I go through all of my videos and I eliminate as much fluff as possible. That's why most of my videos run about seven to 10 minutes long, unless it's a masterclass style video like this, where I'm deliberately trying to give you as much info as possible. I don't mind how long it is, as long as you walk away with some valuable info. But if you've got a three minute video in your head, don't pad it out to 10 minutes. People will notice that you're padding it out. Just be sensible. Add visuals that will entertain people, things that pop up. You'll notice in my most recent videos I've been doing more and more b-roll where it's relevant. Why? Because you don't want to see me sat here all the time in the same background. If I'm talking about knitting or racing or skydiving, those visuals help you. It resets your brain when you get to see something that isn't just my, my mug. And of course I make sure that people are engaged enough to go and watch other videos. Like this video here teaching you the little sneaky ninja tips on how I maximize my audience retention. Go and click that, I'll see you in the next video. Thank you for listening to the Start Creating Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks and advice from Alan Spicer, that's me, then go to youtube.com forward slash Alan Spicer and subscribe. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. See you soon. Go out there. Start creating.